its pantry where we keep all of our food and supplies, and here is what I found. Now, if you're a warm beverage drinker, I think we've got the cover. <laughs> In our church pantry, we have many, many tiny packets of Splenda and Sweet and Low and natural sugar. We have a larger box filled with French vanilla, uh, instant creamer, coffee mate, and an even larger box filled with packets of hot cocoa and decaf coffee. I am assured that there is caffeinated coffee somewhere in the building, but it's not in the church pantry. <laughs> in the church freezer, I found two large Ziploc bags of chocolate chip cookies, enough for about 10 grown adults or two teenagers from the <laughs> I also found 640 tortillas and four bags of cheddar cheese. I hope you like quesadillas. If you don't, I found a box of 48 mini quiches from Sam's Club. We'll save those for the ladies because, as the saying goes, real men don't eat <laughs> I don't know why that's a saying. I like quiche. It's actually quite delicious. Here's the question. Is that enough to feed 250 people? Probably not, unless you consider 2.56 tortillas and a sip of French vanilla coffee made. <laughs> I do not. Isn't enough food to feed 500 people? Well, definitely not. Now we're down to 1.28 tortillas and sort of a Lord of the Flies situation <laughs> where grown men are going to be fighting to the death over half a mini quiche. Worst potluck ever. Isn't enough to feed 5,000 people? You're kidding me, right? What about 5,000 Families. Now we're up to 20,000 people. Verse 7, Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages, 200 denarii, to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. One bite. It sounds like an absurd scenario. When will we ever need to feed 5,000 families with 640 tortillas, four bags of cheddar cheese, and 48 mini quesadillas, mini quiches. It's probably never going to happen. And yet, I think all of us have real-world problems that are at least as big as that. Real-life <coughs> problems that we simply cannot solve. Some of us have health problems, Diseases that are incurable. Some of us have financial problems. Debts that seem insurmountable. Some of us have spiritual problems. Sins that we've committed that seem unforgivable. Some of us have relationship problems. Conflicts that seem unwinnable. Some of us have academic problems. Tests and final exams and projects that seem unpassable. Some of us feel unlovable. Some of us feel undateable. 
Some of us feel unhirable. Some of us feel like we just cannot get an attraction in life because our problems are so big and our resources are so small. What do we do when we feel like we're not enough? What do we do when we're trying to solve a problem as big as 20,000 hungry people and the only food that we have could fit inside a little boy's lunchbox? If you have problems that you cannot solve, if you are tired and broke and desperate, if you've done stupid on steroids, then congratulations. Not, our, not only are you a human being, but you are exactly where God says that you need to be in order to receive the gifts that Jesus came to give. And here's a It's a little bit bigger and a whole lot better than 640 frozen tortillas. This is a story that reminds us that the same Jesus who fed the Israelites with manna in the wilderness can feed more than 5,000 people, 5,000 families, with five loaves and two fish. And when he's done, there's more than enough leftovers for everyone to take some home later. That is the power of the gospel. That is the power of God's grace. That's the power of Jesus. He solves our greatest problems. He meets our deepest needs. How does he do it? Why does he do it? And why is this miracle so important? Now, you might notice that this miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, is the only miracle that other than the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is kind of important, would you say, <laughs> this miracle is the only one of Jesus' miracles that appears in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's as if the writers of those Gospels, inspired by the Spirit, are telling us you cannot understand who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do if you don't understand this miracle. This miracle is a sign in the sense that it points to something far greater than itself. In that itself, it is a living parable. It is a, a picture of life in the kingdom of God. It's a story about providence. It's a story about Christology. It's a story about multiplication. It's a story about hospitality. It's a story about the power of grace and the sweetness of rest. It's a story about friendship. It's a story about faith. It's a miracle, a miracle that reminds us if we bring God whatever we have, He'll use whatever we bring. Even if all we have to bring is a whole lot of nothing. Jesus loves. Jesus serves. Jesus forgives. Jesus provides. What does he provide? How does he provide? Well, if you're taking notes this morning, I want us to ask three big questions about the feeding of the 5,000. It's an amazing miracle. Giving special attention to Jesus' profound statement I am the bread of life. Here's the first big question. What does Jesus give? Five loaves, two fish, something more? We'll see. Second big question, how do we get it? 
as the people in the story ask, Jesus, what must we do in order to be doing the works of God? What do we do? Is there anything that we have to do? Third big question. How do we give it? Having received what Jesus has come to give, how do we give it away? How do we invite other people to the feast? How do we invite other people to taste and see that God is good? So what did Jesus give? How do we get it? And how do we give it away? Let's take a closer look. The first big question is this. What does Jesus give? The first thing he gives is physical bread to meet our physical needs. Verse 10. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he'd given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. Later, Jesus is going to tell the apostles, the 12 apostles, go gather up the leftovers and the crumbs from those five tiny barley loaves, really not much more than, than a biscuit, from the crumbs from those loaves fill 12 baskets full of bread. Now, I will note as an aside that the people ate all the fish. There was no leftover fish. So, uh, keto for the win. Back to the story. What is the point of this? Again, there has to be a point because in all of John's gospel, he calls them miracles signs. They're, they're pointing to something. Jesus never does miracles for the sake of, of doing miracles. It's not like fireworks in the sky to entertain us. There's always a point. What's the point? I think in this case, the point is that Jesus cares about all our problems. Now, he definitely cares about our spiritual problems. We'll see that in the second half of the story. But he also cares about our physical problems. He cares about our emotional problems. He cares about our financial problems. All of our problems matter to Jesus. Because Jesus loves us, he meets us where we are. Now, sometimes when I have problems, I will tend to minimize them by saying, well, hey, it's, it's no big deal. Oh, it's, just, it's, it's nothing. It's, not, it's just a little thing. It's not a problem. Moving on. When Jesus looked at this massive crowd of hungry people, he didn't say, it's no big deal. He said, these people are hungry, and they need food. Our everyday, seemingly mundane, surface-level problems matter deeply to God. That means that we can pray about everything, and, and we should pray about everything. Jesus himself taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Why? Because our physical world and our physical, emotional, relational, financial, academic needs matter to God. He gives us physical bread in order to meet our physical needs. But that's not all. He also gives us spiritual bread in order to meet our spiritual needs. Verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, uh, when did you come here? 
Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. You hear what he's saying? He's saying that there are two kinds of bread. There's physical bread, which he calls food that perishes. And then there's spiritual bread, which he calls food that endures to eternal life. According to Jesus, we need both kinds of bread. We need physical bread to meet our physical needs, and we need spiritual bread to meet our spiritual needs. It's not it's an either-or situation. It's a both-and situation. Now, using this metaphor as my guide, I did a little bit of homework this week. It's new to me. I normally just kind of stand up here and wing it. <laughs> Tell some jokes, you know, some stories. But I actually did some homework this week, and I decided I would look for all the things that the Bible says about bread. There's a lot of bread talk in the Bible. So what does the Bible have to say about bread? Here's what I've found. And because I'm a pastor, I found three things which just so happened to start with the same letters. <laughs> I've been doing this for 16 years. It just happens. I can't stop myself. Okay, so we've got three points. We've got alliteration. Here's the bread. What is this spiritual bread that Jesus came to, to bring? First, we'll see in the Bible that bread represents friendship. Second, we'll see that bread represents forgiveness. And third, we'll see that bread represents flourishing. So friendship, forgiveness, and flourishing. It's in the Bible. First thing is friendship. In the Bible, friends demonstrate their friendship by breaking bread together. Acts 2, verse 46. And day by day, the church attended the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. When two people break bread together, it's about so much more than eating food. When two people break bread together, if I say, hey, why don't we meet up for lunch? Why don't we have dinner together? What I'm really saying is, I want to be your friend. I want to strengthen our friendship. I want you to know me, and I want to know you. It's about breaking bread, it's about talking, it's about laughing, it's about relationship building. When Jesus said, I am the bread of life, what he's saying is, I want to be your friend. Remarkable. In John 15, Jesus told the disciples, no longer do I call you servants. The servant does not know what his master is doing, but I In the church, as a family of faith, we celebrate the friendship that we have with God and with one another through a sacramental meal, the Lord's Supper, in which we give and receive bread in such a way that we are reminded that God himself became one of us, dying on the cross, rising again, so that we, sinful people, could become friends of God. 
Amazing. But there's more. In the Bible, uh, bread also represents forgiveness. Now, there's a really cool bread story in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 24. I, don't, I had to look it up. I don't just know this so I can bring it up at parties. Hey, you want to hear a good bread story? Exodus 24. Here's the story. In this story, we have the main characters, Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 elders of Israel. They all go up on a mountain to meet God. Now, because they're sinful, they can't just go up on the mountain to meet God because God has a funny way of killing people who come without invitation uh, to the mountain of God. It happens, right? So Moses says we have to prepare for this encounter with God. So he takes uh, his brother Aaron, uh, Nadab, Abihu, seven, 70 elders, and he sprinkles them with blood. Why? That seems like a strange thing to do. He does it because he wants to show them that they need the blood of a sacrificial offering, a substitute, so that they might be clean. They need the blood in order to be cleansed from their guilt and their sin. Hebrews 9.22 puts it this way. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now, then we read this. Exodus 24, verse 9. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up. And they saw the God of Israel. Amazing. They saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And they did not, and he, God, did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. In the story, the bread of friendship was revealed to be the bread of forgiveness. We can only approach a holy God. We can only ascend the mountain of the Lord if God forgives our sins, which is what Jesus came to do. That's one of the, one of the reasons why he said, I am the bread of life. When it comes to having a relationship with God, there is no friendship without forgiveness. Amen. Now here's the last point about the bread. In the Bible, bread represents flourishing. So it represents friendship, forgiveness, but also flourishing. The bread that Jesus came to give is not called bread, just bread. He says, I've come to give you the bread of life. What does that mean? What kind of life did Jesus come to give? Now here's where it gets a little bit tricky, but go with me on this, because it's really, really cool. In Greek, there are actually two words for life. There's bios and there's zoe. Bios is your physical life, as in biology. If you have a heartbeat, then you have bios, life. Physical, existential life. Zoe is about your spiritual life. It's about the quality of your life. Zoe could be called abundant life. Here's an illustration. This is, uh, via Tim Keller, it was a great illustration, so I thought, rather than kind of trying to explain it, I'd just tell you the illustration. He said this. Many years ago, a long time ago, he went on a flight with his son. His son was about eight years old. 
Now, his son has never been on an airplane before, so he's a little bit unsure about what to expect. His son sits down, and he discovers that the flight attendants start to bring him things. He asks for a Coke, and he's not allowed to have Coke at home, but the flight attendant brings him a can of Coke. <laughs> then the flight attendant comes around and brings him some pretzels to eat. Then he's a little bit cold, and the flight attendant brings a blanket. He can't quite sleep. Flight attendant brings him a pillow. And he looks at his dad, a little eight-year-old boy, looks up at his dad. He says, Dad, this is living. <laughs> right? We all know what he's saying. He's not saying, Dad, I, I have a pulse. Uh, dad, my heart is be beating. That's bios. He says, I'm living now. I have joy and gladness and peace and abundance. I have life. I have Zoe. When Jesus said, I am the bread of life, that's the word that he uses. Zoe. In other words, I am the bread of joy. I am the bread of peace. I am the bread of rest. I have come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly because that's what life is in the kingdom of God. Eternal life Eternal Zoe means that someday you're going to have your best day every day. Amen. That's what Jesus came to give. Physical bread. To meet our physical needs, it's very important. Because the little things matter to God. Spiritual bread. To meet our spiritual needs. Friendship. Forgiveness. And flourishing. Here's the second big question. How do we get it? How do we get the bread of life? Verse 28, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? In other words, give us five pillars, Jesus. Give us an eightfold path. Give us seven baby steps. Seven things that we need to do in order to have spiritual peace in the kingdom of God. Here's the good news. According to Jesus, there aren't seven steps. There's only one step. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. It's such a unique thing, because in every other religion, there's a guru, there's a master, there's a teacher, and essentially that teacher's job is to show you where to get the bread. Here's what you need to do, and here's where you need to go in order to have this zoe, this life, this peace, this abundance. In Christianity, Jesus says, I am the bread. I'm not here to give you something else. I am here to give you myself. Believe in me. Do you see the difference? Do you see why it makes no sense to say, well, all, the, all religions are the same, you know, we're all worshiping the same God, we're kind of taking different roads to get there. No, absolutely not. This is a radically different way of thinking about how to have a relationship with God. There are thousands of miles between do and done. They're not in the same zip code. They're not, they're not on the same planet. They are radically different. That's what Jesus is saying. And so 
To come to Jesus, you have to first acknowledge your hunger. You have to say, Jesus, I have problems that I cannot solve. Physical problems, spiritual problems, emotional problems, you name it, I've got it. And I'm looking out at a crowd of 5,000 families, and all I have is five loaves and two pieces of bread. That, or five loaves, two fish, that is not enough. Frankly, sometimes I feel like Philip, and I just give up before even asking for help. I say, it's too much. I, I, I quit. I give in. But then, having acknowledged our hunger, we look to Jesus in faith, believing that he is the bread of life, believing that he is the source of eternal, abundant life, believing that he and he alone can satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. When we come to him in faith, what we're saying is, Jesus, feed me with your life. Feed me with your sinless life. Feed me with your sacrificial death. Raise me up to new life in you that I might grow and change and become the person who you are calling me to be. Feed me with your grace. He'll do it. And this miracle is the proof that he can and he will because Jesus is the bread of life. That leads us to our third big question, last one. How do we give it? Jesus came to give us physical bread to meet our physical need, needs. He came to give us spiritual bread to meet our spiritual needs. So how do we give that away? Here's the answer. We meet people's physical needs with the bread, and we meet people's spiritual needs with the bread of life. Now, this is anecdotal. I can't cite any polls or statistics or studies on this, but in my experiences, liberal churches tend to be really good at giving people the bread. Liberal churches tend to start nonprofits and food pantries and kitchens, and they're all about social activism and really making the world a better place for everyone. Conservative churches tend to do really well with giving people the bread of life. As conservative Christians, we churches, we start Christian schools, we're evangelizing, we're telling people about the gospel. Who's right? Should we be uh, meeting people's physical needs like Jesus did in the first part of the story? Or should we be meeting people's spiritual needs, which Jesus did in the second part of the story? Here's the answer. If we want to do gospel ministry like Jesus did, then we have to do both. We can't neglect people's physical needs because we're so focused on their spiritual needs, nor can we neglect their spiritual needs because we're so focused on their physical needs. Here's what Jesus' brother James said when, when he was talking about faith without works being dead. James 2.18. But someone will say, hey, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Does that make sense? We were, last summer, we spent some time in Uganda. And one of the activities we did when we were 
in Uganda was we went to a tiny island, and there was a village on that island, and we got to walk around and share the gospel with many, many people. Uh, we told them, hey, we're, we're here from thousands and thousands of miles away. We're Christians. We love Jesus. We love you. And we, we came all this distance because we want to feed you with the bread of life. We want to show you who Jesus is and what Jesus has done so that you can be part of the family of God. But then we gave them bags of rice. Why? Because they were desperately hungry. They were desperately poor. And they needed something to eat. That's exactly what Jesus did in this story. First, he gave them the bread, then he gave them the bread of life. First, he addressed their physical needs, then he addressed their spiritual needs. Those two things should always go together. And so when we are giving other people the bread of life, the gift of the gospel, we do so in word and in deed Amen. to the glory of God. Amen. Well, that's the story. It's an amazing story. What did Jesus give? Like he spiritual bread to meet the spiritual needs, physical bread to meet the, the physical needs. He gave us friendship and forgiveness and flourishing. What a gift. How do we get it? We go to him in faith. We say simply, Jesus, I am hungry. I have a deep longing in my soul. I have a hole that only you can fill. I have a need that only you can meet. I believe that you came to give me everlasting and abundant life through your death on the cross. Receive me as your friend. How do we give that away? Well, we do what Jesus did. We show and we tell. We feed people's bodies. We nourish people's souls. We preach and we pray and we love and we serve. Remembering that if we bring God whatever we have, He will get use whatever we bring. Jesus is the bread of life. Let's go to Him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for feeding us on the bread of life. We thank You, Jesus, that You are the bread of life. I pray for God that You would strengthen us, that You might help us with whatever problem that we are dealing with this week or even this day or this season of our life, Lord, we know that nothing is impossible for you. We pray, Lord Jesus, that we would step out in faith, bringing whatever little that we have, trusting, Lord God, 